Today on the Zabecast, did you ever see the movie Let's Be Cops? It was supposed to be a comedy, but after reading about the Minnesota Four, it looks a bit more like a documentary. The shameless clickbait of media dishonesty is staggering, but all I can do is call the flagrant fouls as I see them. All that plus a deep mailbag and the greatest Rona parody song ever. Your daily Kickstarter of Solo Me is locked and loaded, so buckle up. And let's go. Oh, 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 oh. Here we go. Wednesday, June 10, 2020. Thank you for joining me. And you got all me today for about 30 minutes. I'm going to call this Solo Wednesday. And it's going to be a load management day. I think I'm going to go a hard 30 and call it a podcast, and then we'll be back to Meteor episodes Thursday and Friday. Hope you don't mind, just for my own sanity. It is light out there. So, we start with, of course, Major League Baseball negotiations. How are they doing? There was actually a proposal on Tuesday night, a counterproposal by the owners or the players? Boy, I just saw it a minute ago. I don't even know, but... The net-net, according to baseball writers, is it's not going to move the needle at all. I think the players said they would do – or no, the players were the last – yeah, no, it's the players' turn to shoot another shot. And they said something like 90 games starting on July 10th and blah, blah, blah. We are still far, Grover, from a deal. Far. This is near. This is far. Thank you, Grover. Uh, according to a baseball source, the owners are sure to reject this latest player offer, and they are marching their way toward a forced season of about 50 games based on the agreement that the players stupidly and hastily agreed to when the whole thing got shut down back in March. Man, oh, man, is that going to be a disaster. Okay. The Minnesota Four, the officers involved in the death of George Floyd. Piece in the New York Times about the four men charged with, and this story was written, I think, before the three others. I think, well, I have to look at what they are charged with. Obviously, uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, the lead officer, who I think uh, showed callous disregard and should be convicted of at least second-degree murder. First-degree murder is a bit much, but second-degree or maybe third-degree murder, without a doubt, in my opinion. Derek Chauvin, uh, he was charged first, and then they swooped in and they arrested the other three and charged them because, well, you know, cities were burning, and that's what happens. Don't know if those convictions are going to stick, but it was interesting, this story in the New York Times, about the backgrounds of the other three men. One is of Hamong background of Hmong ethnicity, and there's a big Hmong community in Minnesota. In fact, there was once a horrible story of a family of hunters that got mowed down by a Hmong hunter in a tree stand during deer season in Minnesota, and it was like, what in the hell was that all about? And that was a number of years ago. I've forgotten the details. But anyway... There, one of the other three officers is of Hmong background, and another one is actually African-American. Now, he's light-skinned. It looks like 
He's got some ginger in him, a little bit of a redheaded like beard to him and some freckles. And he was on his fourth day on the force. That would be Thomas Lane. His fourth day on the force and this happens. In fact, he was the guy, Thomas Lane, that first handcuffed George Floyd. And Floyd was sitting on the curb, actually said thank you and was calm and everything was, for the most part, going smoothly. Here's the details of the arrest. Uh, Police responded to a 911 call that a counterfeit $20 bill was used to buy cigarettes at the Cup Foods Corner Store in South Minneapolis. When Mr. Lane and Mr. J. Alexander Kang, K-U-E-N-G, arrived, they ordered Floyd out of a car. Mr. Lane handcuffed him, and Mr. Floyd sat on the ground and said, Thank you, man. He was calm, according to the statement of probable cause. As they tried to walk Floyd to their squad car, he stiffened up and fell to the ground. Floyd told them he was not resisting arrest, but was claustrophobic and did not want to get in the back seat of the car. Of course, that's tough. If you're resisting, I'm not a risk, resisting arrest. I'm just claustrophobic. I don't want to get in the back seat of the car. Well, I mean, we can't let you sit in the front, and we don't have a minivan, and we're not going to strap you to the roof. So, yeah. That's when Mr. Chauvin showed up with Mr. Thou, Tua Thou. He is the gentleman of Hmong descent at his side. Mr. Chauvin quickly took charge. Cell phone video shows the rest with the knee on his neck and and everything that followed. The lawyers for the other three said that not only were two of their guys very inexperienced, but that Mr. Chauvin was the training officer for the three officers, for the new guys. They're required to call him sir, said their attorney. He has 20 years experience. What's my client supposed to do but to follow what the training officer said? How is that aiding and abetting a crime? Can you not feel for the other three guys in this just a little bit? Thomas Lane, who's considered African-American, on his fourth day on the force, 20-year veteran, comes in, sits on the neck of the guy. According to the reports, Lane said, hey, should we turn him over, and Chauvin said no. Um, Mr. Through police records show that uh, Mr. Kang had become a police officer in December. It was only his third shift as a full-fledged officer when Mr. Floyd was killed. So in other words, Thomas Lane was four days on the job, and this other guy, Kang, was his third shift. Then you had, you know, Tua, uh, the uh, the other guy, Tua, Tua, to keep thinking, Tua, Tua Thou, Tua Thou. Uh, Mr. Thou worked his entire life starting at McDonald's in the Twin Cities suburb of Fridley when he was 14. After graduating from high school, he became a stalker at a Cub food store in Crystal, Minnesota. Then he started community college, taking classes like police and community minority groups, transcript show. He worked briefly as a security guard, dropped out of college about the same time he was hired as a community service officer with the police. He was laid off during budget budget cuts in 09, but then became a full-fledged officer and was rehired in 2012. Over his career, Mr. Thau faced at least six complaints. He and his former partner were also sued in 2017 by an African-American man who claimed they punched, kicked, and kneed him, leaving him with broken teeth and bruises. 
Mr. Kang, Mr. Kang, meanwhile, graduated from high school in 2012, enrolled at Monroe College, studied business admin, transferred to a community college there, decided to major in criminal justice studies, worked stocking shelves at a Target, then as a loss prevention detective at Macy's. Eventually, he transferred to the University of Minnesota, where he majored in sociology of law, criminology, and deviance, transcript showed. He seemed to want to tackle the world. He studied Russian, took classes like world religions and world politics and terrorist networks. In the spring of 2018, he also enrolled in American race relations. Sounds pretty good, right? After graduating in summer of 2018, Kang got his law enforcement certificate. By this point, he was already working part-time as a community service officer in a, for the Minneapolis police, Minneapolis police. He joined the police academy, became an officer in December. There's no record of any complaints against him. Third full shift as a full-fledged officer. Mr. Lane, meanwhile, the African-American guy, who uh, gentleman who handcuffed Floyd initially, came to policing later in life. He didn't graduate from high school, went on to get his GED, worked a series of odd jobs, restaurant server, Home Depot sales associate, nightclub bouncer, eventually went to Century College. He graduated from the University of Minnesota with a bachelor's degree in the sociology of law, criminology, and deviance. He also volunteered helping Somali youth in Cedar Riverside community. Mr. Lane started working in the criminal justice system as an assistant probation officer for juveniles and as a juvenile correction officer. But in January of 2019, he was accepted to the police academy, becoming an officer in December. Records show. If you're going to defund the police, and I'm not casting any aspersions on all these gentlemen, thank God there are men who put on the badge and they strap on a gun and they work in the most dangerous neighborhoods and they interact with people, many of whom are fine people just trying to get along with their life. But there's a lot of people police have to deal with, I'd say the majority, who fit into one of the following categories. Economically desperate, drug addicts, mentally unstable, plain psychopaths, you name it. So this is the background of these other three officers. And you want to defund the police? Even if that means, well, we don't want to dismantle the police, which is now a scrambling talking point for some on the left right now, some Democrats saying, whoa, 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 we're not saying no police. We're saying defund them, which is to divert some money into other programs that will better serve the community. If these, if if this is what you're catching at the entry level pay to do a very dangerous job with a bunch of very marginal people of all colors and backgrounds, like I said, economically desperate, mentally unstable, pure psychopaths, other people who have addiction problems. If this is what you're getting now, what happens when you make the pay less? It's not like these guys didn't go through the studies, and I would have a hard time if I'm sitting on a jury convicting any of the other three of anything. Maybe to a thou, just because he's got more of a history, but he wasn't even the one, he was the one guy who was not on George Floyd. He was the one keeping people at bay. Third shift, fourth day, one guy's black, they both seemingly have been through the proper channels and their 20-year superior, this piece of shit Chauvin, was their training officer. Of course, will the general public know all this? 
or be able to be reasonable about this if only Chauvin is charged and if the other three are acquitted? I hope so, but I don't have a lot of confidence in that. Reebok has cut ties with CrossFit. Why? The CEO of CrossFit tweeted something that was a little bit insensitive. That's right, a little bit insensitive. The IHME, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, in other words, our own crappy pandemic modeling outfit out of the University of Washington, the same outfit that said as soon as the lockouts started to end or lockdowns started to end in mid-May, they're like, here we go, watch this, here's our predicted curve. We predict 3,000 deaths a day by June 1. It's June 8th. We're averaging about 700 nationally and dropping just a bit outside. It's about their ninth incorrect, wildly incorrect prediction in a row. Okay, that is background. So the IHME tweeted out, racism is a public health issue. That's factually incorrect. You are in the public health business. Diseases, airborne, viruses, public health. Racism is a societal issue. It's not a public health issue. But they tweeted out because they want to be on the right side of this, even though they're way out of their lane. So the CEO of CrossFit replied, it's Floyd 19. Boom, hit a nerve. I mean, I thought it was pretty much on the mark, but of course, of course. Anything now can and will be used against you. And if you have a major corporation that you can target as a pressure point, such as Reebok, well, that's what people are going to do. So they came after CrossFit and uh, Glassman, who, of course, had to retreat from it and said, I will not stand for racism. I made a mistake by the words I chose. My heart is deeply saddened by the pain it has caused. It was a mistake, not racist, but a mistake, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. His other point was, your failed model quarantined us, and now you're going to model a solution to racism? Again, he's not wrong. But being right doesn't guarantee you anything. It doesn't protect you either. This is outrageous, but it's par for the course. Story appearing in the New York Post. I'm trying to see if it was generated by an agency or an associated press story. It doesn't look like it. Headline, Ohio protester dies two days after exposure to tear gas and pepper spray. Okay. 22-year-old Ohio woman has died two days after she was tear gassed and pepper sprayed by police during a George Floyd rally in Columbus, according to a report. A report. Um, This according to the Dayton Daily News. So I guess they're re- packaging the initial report in the Dayton Daily News. The woman's name is Sarah Grossman. She is a cute, adorable, was a cute, adorable 22-year-old white woman. Pictures of her in big, you know, glasses, smile on her face, um, nice long brown hair, a little flower behind her ear. I mean, just the, oh my God, she died because she got pepper sprayed and tear gassed. That's your takeaway, right? From the headline, the lead graph. You got to read further down to get the details. First of all, it was two days after her alleged attendance at this rally. That's number one. She arrived in cardiac arrest. 
The Dayton Daily News reviewed the coroner's report using a provision of Ohio law that allows the media to review preliminary, preliminary autopsy reports. The young woman's cause of death remains under investigation. An ER nurse reported her death as suspected overdose, but no toxicology screen has been completed to show drugs in her system, and her family denies any history of drug abuse. Well, you know what families believe about everybody. I mean, they're the last to know or the first ones in denial. Grossman's body showed no signs of lethal trauma, and the only medical condition mentioned in the preliminary records is an allergy to peanuts. Now, is it possible she had an allergy to pepper spray and it manifested itself two days afterwards or tear gas? Possible. Police did use gases to disperse crowds that night. We haven't received an official complaint, nor have investigators in Montgomery County talked to Columbus police, according to city spokeswoman Robin Davis. Also, Columbus communications manager Melanie Crabble told the Inquirer that the city officials had seen no photos or videos of Grossman at a protest, nor had heard from anyone who had been with her. Also, we have not received a complaint from the family. So... What, what, what there is there exactly? And yet this story gets printed and run because you see her picture and you see the headline, you go, oh my God, that's terrible. It's utterly ridiculous and horseshit journalism that should not appear in the New York Post, but it, New York Post is a tabloid. They got to survive. They got to eat. Click, 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 click. Got me, obviously. It's crazy, though. Until you know more, you can't run that story, not in good conscience. And you got to cross-check it and say, all right, what is the lethal? I mean, if if tear gas and pepper spray were lethal, holy shit, there'd be bodies stacked up, up one side of the street, down the other. But whatever. They've come for Peter King. Even the wokest of the woke can't escape sometimes. Peter King's column, Monday Morning Football, or Monday Morning Quarterback, said that he talked to a person close to Drew Brees, and the person said that the social media rip jobs reminded him of Lord of the Flies. In that book, writes King, normal British boys get stranded on a desert island and have to fend for themselves, and they spiral into savagery to survive. Sounds about right, wrote Peter King. People, of course, jumped on this. I mean, how dare... Savagery is the word that was the one that I I knew as soon as I read it. I was like, bing, that's the word right there. So he then apologized, Peter King, because that's what Peter King does. And he's going to pay virtually no price for that. Nobody's going to cancel Peter King. I don't think so. His woke bona fides are as strong as anybody's. But you never know. He said, I'm removing the, f- the reference to Lord of the Flies upon hearing from so many who found it offensive. I apologize for using it. I understand why some are hurt by it. You should be. I'll be more conscious about the full meaning of analogies. Thanks for keeping me honest. Yeah, analogies are supposed to be colorful. They're supposed to stick out in your mind. They're supposed to make you go, yeah, that's yeah, interesting comparison. All right, let's get to the mailbag here. Chance Parker on mic'd up players. Zabe, I know you and others are excited and advocating for the prospect of miking up players, but I think it's a recipe for disaster. You've rightly described Twitter as like a loaded Uzi on your bedside table, 
that you grab in the middle of the night or when you're drunk or feeling sad or feeling angry. And next thing you know, I think of the scene in uh, Hangover 2 with the Uzi in the strip club. And you're like, holy shit. Not only is it an Uzi at your bedside table that can go off and cause considerable damage at any time, it's also the 240-character resignation letter, ready to go. Today, Twitter's social lethality is based on the simple fact that tweets can be captured, disseminated, and reviewed through whatever PC lens you want to use and then weaponized. Very true. Just imagine what will happen when athlete-on-athlete smack talk is caught on live mic and then canonized for all the PC Nazis and social justice warriors to shoot at. Again, what could go wrong? Love the show and the podcast. Might even subscribe soon. Chance Parker. Scottsdale, Arizona. Come visit anytime. Well, Chance, if you'd subscribe, I'd be $5 a month closer to my retirement. Just saying. When it comes to feeling a little bit better about all the craziness of the double standards, dishonesty, and just witch huntery going on right now, I got this email from a PhD. I withhold his name because why drag his real name into it? But it's a real, real email. He said, Zabe, historical perspective is the most important thing you can have when the world appears to have gone upside down. And one important fact from recent history is to remember where a lot of this current sentiment came from. It's a gift from the University of Missouri. Remember one night at a party, some snowflake heard someone drive by and yell the N-word? Bad, of course, but who knows if if it was even a white guy yelling it. Anyway, doesn't matter. Consequently, the black players on the football team then threatened to not attend practice. The coach and university caved in so fast that they all disappeared up their own assholes. I (laughs) that's a great line yes it really was a one of my daughter's favorite professors there was fired because he held an exam on the day it was scheduled believe it it's real more perspective one of my phd students is from malaysia i once asked him if he would be going back to malaysia after he finished his doctorate his answer not a chance The student was half Indian and half Chinese. He told me that you in the United States have no idea what real racism is. He said because he was not ethnic Malay, he was a mix, he could never get a job as more than a laborer despite his education. Third item from recent history, my medical school at a dean was hired from the University of Minnesota. He was SJW to the core. He deigned to come visit the departments in the hospital once a year. Imperious as hell, unlike previous deans, he would come in and give a state of the institution speech. The first year, his main focus was the inadequate number of black medical students in our institution. The problem was that other medical schools in the state, as well as the University of Wisconsin, was giving black students a better deal. It turns out that while we gave all black students a free tuition, University of Wisconsin gave them that and a salary. Damn, I hate getting out recruited. Meanwhile, my daughter who just graduated medical school finds herself over 200 grand in the hole from paying the full fare for four years. The final insult was the distribution of other types of assistance. The black students were given special tutors, which the white students were not allowed to have. Is there and was there racism in the United States? Of course. 
Is bending this far over and giving out more free stuff the answer? Clearly not. By the way, good job on learning to shoot a gun. I taught both my daughters to shoot and handle them safely, but good luck getting one now. Name withheld PhD. Oh, I, I think I'll be able to get one or two. Not, not too worried about that. Gun sales are absolutely soaring through the roof. Dave Kramer says, Zabe, what's the worst division in sports? I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I believe the AFC South is the worst division in the four major sports in America based on a few things. One, no history for the most part at all. The Colts' glory days are in Baltimore. Tennis, well, they didn't win a Super Bowl in Indianapolis. Tennessee, zip, not a nothing. Houston, bah, expansion team. Uh, the Oilers, yes, Texans, no. Jacksonville, enough said. Two, uniforms. Other than the Colts away, nothing to see here. The Colts are glorious and simple. I like the Texans. The Titans are growing on me. The new scheme with the darker blue is pretty good. I don't like the numbers, though. Excuse me, and I'm not sure about the thumbtack, the flaming thumbtack logo. Third, Buzz. Other than me snoring at the thoughts of their games, just crickets. During this time of Zippo going on, maybe this could fill five minutes. Thanks for the entertainment, Dave Kramer. Worst division in all of sports, every sport across the board. That's a good one. That's interesting. I don't quite know about that. This one from Ted Wood. Zabe, I wear a face mask in the car. This is perfect for you. Is your overseas golf trip still on or did you have to cancel? Let me know if anyone drops out if you're still going. Actually, I do have a couple openings. I need to I need to dip into my reserves. By the way, I agree with all your takes on the virus and looters. Please keep, keep up the hammering of the Corona Karens out there. Sincerely, Ted Wood. P.S. Hiding Jay behind the Friday firewall is simply cruel. I may have to break down and help those retirement plans to Arizona. Well, yeah, another guy. Step it up, will you? So what he said was perfect was this song. I wear my face mask in the car. It's a great video, by the way, too. Corey Hart, sunglasses at night. You knew that. I wear my face mask in my car so I can, so I can. Virtue signal in my neighborhood. And I wear my face mask when I walk so I can, so I can. Make sure they. your distance <laughs> While they're deceiving me it cuts my immunity tv's got control of me i turn it on they say but this is not over yet don't trust the man with the orange skin oh no it comes from china there has to be some form of punishment don't mess around The final solution, uh, which is a year to two years off, is the vaccine. I wear my face mask in my house so I can, so I can. <laughs> it's really well done. Check it out. I wear my face mask in the car. It's on YouTube. The video is excellent. 
And then we'll end on this because we're coming up at 30 minutes. And I said, that's all I'm giving you tonight or today. So enjoy it. Load management. This one from Ken Drew, Nashua, New Hampshire. On Leno. Dave, I made the switch. Glad my L coin is still a collectible. Yes, switch over to Red Circle. Thank you very much. Last couple of weeks of being at Libsyn, and then the door is closed. We'll need you get a, get you in the new boat for you subscribers. In listening to Notorious Jay on Friday, you spoke about what a hack Jay Leno is and was. Thus, I point you to a video I posted long ago that illustrates this fact with Dana Carvey as Leno's guest. This is where... It picks up and Dana Carvey hammers Leno, but you should watch the entire clip. It's great. Here was Dana Carvey sort of making fun of Jay Leno, and I don't think he really liked it that much when he got into it. I don't even know who I'm doing, though, really. I mean, you know, I like to abstract. I mean, George Bush doesn't go, not gonna do it, not gonna do it, not do it. That's why, when I, you know, people are starting to do you now. He's doing me? Well, yeah. Well, the basic Jay Leno was this basic thing like this, right? Now, well, but the fun of doing you is abstracting the fun, you. The, the fun. The fun and the joy. Right, right the fun. <laughs> my buttocks are tingling, my God. <laughs> the fun of doing you. Well, I just goofed and I thought if you abstract your voice, if you would need an interpreter. So it's like, uh, hi, Jay. Yeah, so I think it, you know, I can be an actor. Very clever. And you, and you go, what? what did he say? And the interpreter goes, well, Jay says he likes your act and he thinks you're a very good comedian. Yeah, I think it was. And I think it could be in the I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's just oh, like no. Well, this is what I love about impressionists. They always say when they meet the guy, they go, no, see, we really like you. We're having fun with you. <laughs> Yeah, doesn't sound like Jay Leno really likes that one too much. Anyhow, thanks for keeping the show rolling along during our mandated coronacation. Appreciate the takes, the sarcasm, the humor, humor, and the general good daily listen. Love me some notorious J-A-Y. He is the best. Now back to my job to help save the world. I'm in the pharma business. You know, we're evil, and my company is helping making helping make life-saving medicines. Loyal one percenter Ken Drew in Nashua, New Hampshire. P.S. I was at the University of Pacific while you were doing your UCSB time. Fun fact, not really. Oh, yeah, Pacific. Yeah, we played you sons of bitches in basketball a lot. Beat you most of the time, too. But you had Michael Oloa Candy at one point. The Candyman went to Pacific way back in the day. All right, that'll do it for me today. Told you, good hard 30. I like it. Solid podcast by me. Load management, solo Wednesday. Get used to it and like it because I think it's going to become a thing. Remember, switch to Red Circle. Uh, join there for the Friday podcast. I thank you for your $5 a month. And uh, Libsyn, cancel it out. Or you really don't have to do anything because they're going to cancel everybody automatically at the end of the month. So this is pretty much it. But uh, if you can't find a way to cancel, it's not going to matter when it's all said and done. Thanks again for listening. Tell a couple friends. Tickle the algorithm. Rate and review so the, the, the algorithm and the lords bless our crops. Have a great Wednesday, and we will see you tomorrow.